dilation of blood vessels anywhere in the body is an indication of general health. So it just happens to be around the eyelid, you can actually see the blood vessels. And actually also inside your eye, you can see all the vessels when you look at the back. So uh, that's why the eyes are quite a useful tool to predict your general health. That's the voice of Dr Elizabeth Hawkes, a leading oculoplastic and ophthalmic surgeon. I'm Liz Earle and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half of life. And my mission is to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. And of course, eyes and eyesight is absolutely a fundamental part of that. And I don't know about you, but I spend a large amount of time and money on eye treatments, you know, eye care, eye masks, eye creams eye exercises, all of those things. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation about what works sort of on a cosmetic and beauty level, but also diving into some of the really common issues that we all have, particularly as we age around our eyes. Well, to give you a bit of background, Dr. Elizabeth Hawkes works at the Cadogan Clinic and she is a fellow of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. So she is absolutely the person that we want to be talking to here about why the eye area ages. Questions like why wearing sunglasses is so vital, but perhaps not all the time. And maybe why we should be paying particular attention to the makeup that we wear around our eyes. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Elizabeth, a very warm welcome. I'm so looking forward to this chat because there's just so much to say about the eyes. And, you know, I was really impressed by your breadth of knowledge because you look sort of at the eyes within and without, if you like, because we're looking at the skin around the eyes as well as the eyes themselves. Yeah, that's correct. So I've specialised as, uh, I well, my training was actually as an eye surgeon. And uh, the joke goes that an eyeball is 25 millimetres long, but we all choose our millimetre to specialise in. And I've specialised in the eyelids, so the skin oh, wow. around the eye. Oh, my goodness, that is forensic. I mean, I'm super <laughs> impressed. So let's get straight to it then, um, asking for a friend. Uh, <laughs> the eye area seems to age so rapidly compared to other areas of the face. And it certainly is sort of the real kind of telltale signs of aging, if you like. Why is that? Why why does the eye area specifically age so quickly and so dramatically? Yeah, it is actually the first part of the face to start to show the signs of aging. And it's several reasons, really. So the eyelid skin is unique compared to the rest of the face. So in most parts of the face, you have skin, then you have a layer of fat, and then you have muscle. But actually around the eyelid, you lack that layer of fat, the subcutaneous fat. So it's just skin and then muscle. 
and then the eyelid skin is very very thin and then the muscle underneath the eyelid skin the orbicularis oculi muscle that controls when we blink that is actually one of the most active muscles on the face because we blink approximately 12 to 14 times a minute so you can imagine constantly the muscle blinking and underneath very delicate skin that's why it starts to age and starts to show the signs of aging first that's fascinating i didn't realize there was a real sort of physical reason why and not having the fat cells in our eyelids makes perfect sense we've got nothing to sort of plump plump the eyelids up if you like yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you know, eyelid skin is prone to all the signs of ageing like other skin. You start to lose collagen and elastin, so it loses its strength. Also, it's vulnerable to the signs of ageing from the sun, from the UV exposure. So all of that, on top of the fact it lacks its cushion of fat, the eyelid skin is very delicate and you can start to see the signs of ageing, such as excess folds of skin in the upper eyelid and the lower lid, and the tissues can become very loose as well. Mm. Well, we'll talk a bit about what we can do about it, but let's just look at some of those environmental factors that you mention. Sort of what are the big villains here in terms of environment? Is it sunshine? pollution, stress, genetics? What what are the main factors that affect our eyelids as we age? It's a combination of all of them, really. But the number one is UV exposure. And what lots of people don't realise is that the eyelids is actually quite a high risk area for small skin cancers. And the reason is, is because when you're applying sun cream, you sort of do your whole face, but it's quite easy to sort of forget the eyelid area, especially in yes. all the bottles, they say, avoid the eye area. Um, but <laughs> yes. actually, you should be applying it all the way around your eye in a circular motion, and particularly the inner corner of your eyelid by the nose. That's really? a, very, a very common spot for um, a small basal cell carcinoma or small kin- skin cancer. Wow, who knew? So it's definitely UV exposure. Yeah. That's what we do in the NHS. So I've specialised now in cosmetic eyelid surgery, but coming from an NHS background, what we would do is skin cancer excision um, around the eyelid and then reconstructing. And that's all usually due to small tumours. And then shielding the skin presumably is is important as well. I mean, I'm actually a fan of using makeup during the summer months because makeup is primarily mineral-based. And if you had a little layer of colour on your eyelids, you're actually putting a mineral screen, you know, often using zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, which presumably is giving you a little bit of sun protection. So it might not just be for vanity reasons, but you could actually be using eyeshadow in the summer to protect your eyelids, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And of course, sunglasses as well. So obviously, the more oversized, the better. Yeah. They're not just a fashion statement, sunglasses. They actually have a very important role. And they, as long as they have the correct... UVA, UVB protection. So you need to look for uh, the sign UV 400 on the glasses. And if, if they have that, then you're protecting your eyes from the sun as well. Interesting about sunlight, because I've been doing quite a bit of research on the effect of sunlight on the brain and particularly our vitamin D receptors absorbing UV light, particularly early morning light, because it seems to me that the research is showing that the early morning light is actually not hazardous and may actually be beneficial. So would you think that perhaps keeping your sunglasses from, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the day onwards is a good strategy and actually not to be too shy of, you know, the dawn, for example? Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point, actually. And I think that's really important that there is no specific guidance. It's similar to sun cream, you know, if you're, you know, if you're going you know avoid the midday sun etc reapply so that's how you should use your sunglasses but obviously sunlight in our eyes 
is obviously very important because light sort of enters the eye itself, goes to the back of the eye, hits the nerve that connects the eye to the brain. And that's how you process everything. So obviously it is very important to have some exposure to light. You don't have to be in your sunglasses all the time, but it's just to just use a bit of common sense really about when to use your sunglasses. But there is no strict guidance at the moment. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, the whole light spectrum field is is just a a really wonderful area of of new discovery, I think. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the muscles in the eyelids. You say that, you know, we do have muscle in the eyelids, obviously, we're using them to blink. Does that mean that we could actually do eye exercises to tone them? I mean, could we give ourselves a mini eye lift by doing specific eyelid exercises? Yeah, so actually, within the eyelid itself, you've actually got three muscles. So you have the muscle that controls blinking and closing your eye, which is the orbicularis. And everyone seems to know about that muscle because that's the muscle that's responsible for the crow's feet. And the lines that you start to get that go can be treated very well with Botox. But then you also have other two other muscles uh, in the eyelid as well, a muscle called your levator muscle, and that's responsible for opening the eye. And then the final muscle you have is a very small muscle called Muller's muscle, and it's under control of our sympathetic nervous system, so our autonomic control. And it's only responsible for about one to two millimeters of lifting the lid but it is also a very important muscle. So you have those three muscles and they all work together to keep our eyes open and to help us blink. But in terms of exercises you can do, so you can't really do specific exercises for the muscles in the eyelid, but actually the eyeball as well. You know, when we move our eye left, right, up and down, those muscles are the, they're called the extraocular muscles, which control eye movement. If for example, you have something called a squint or if you have uh, headaches from overstraining your eyes, there is some evidence to suggest that doing specific exercises can actually help. But it won't, there aren't any exercises that can lift a lid, but it can help with moving the eye and just to relax the tension that you can get. Interesting. You And you mentioned the word Botox there. What's your view on that as a medic? It obviously has a dramatic effect in, in lifting the eyelids and the eye area. How do you use Botox? Is it something that's considered safe and helpful and preventative to stop of eyelids drooping? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually pioneered by an ophthalmologist. So was it? everyone knows everyone knows the story of Jean Carruthers. She's an oculoplastic surgeon. And how it was discovered in Vancouver is she was treating patients with a condition called blepharospasm. So that's a, neuro, a neurological condition where you can't stop blinking. And the treatment for that medically is to do Botox. So you reduce the frequency of blinking. And then what she found is that the patients would come back and say, actually, yeah, the Botox is working really well. My symptoms have improved, but actually I like the fact I'm looking less tired. <laughs> and that's how cosmetic Botox was pioneered. So I use Botox in my practice a lot, cosmetically, of course, but also medically as well. You can actually do a lot with Botox. Some conditions you may want to actually cause the lid to drop. Other conditions, if the muscle uh, starts to roll in on the lower lid and the lashes can irritate the surface of the eye, you can use Botox to make the lid turn out. So there are actually medical reasons for it. And cosmetically, I think it's safe. We've been using it for decades Mm. and most oculoplastic surgeons, ophthalmologists, very comfortable using it. But I think when you're when you're treating Botox around the eye, I think there are some considerations you have to take into account because, you know, Botox will, because you're injecting the orbicularis oculi muscle, which controls blinking, it can worsen the symptoms of dry eye. So I think if you are 
having cosmetic Botox, you do have to sort of take that into consideration and think how frequently do I want to have Botox around the eye because it can make dry eye worse and can make the eyes more uncomfortable. Gosh, that is so fascinating. Thank you. I knew I'd love this conversation. (laughs) Let's uh, look at other sorts of cosmetic treatments. So, you know, obviously that there are procedures and interventions like Botox, but what about things like eye creams? You know, I I have a history of previously working in in the beauty industry and everybody talks about eye cream as Mm. being an essential, but then some people say, oh no, you know, it can puff up your lower eye area and and, uh, accumulate, which I haven't seen any evidence of, but, you know, do correct me if I'm wrong. Let's let's have a little deep dive into eye creams. Do they work? Are they worth it? Are there any things that we need to factor in if we're going to use one? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely pro eye creams. I mean, we've just discussed the reason why eyelid skin is unique um, and it needs special care. It's a very delicate area. Obviously, there's this the type of ingredients you'd want to use. And but like you said about causing puffiness, the second point is the technique. Um, so you have to be very, very delicate when you're applying the eye cream. And if you're very aggressive and rubbing your eye when you're putting the cream on, you could cause puffiness, but that's not because you're causing the skin to swell. If you're very rough, you can start to cause the, um, so the eyeball is, is cushioned in fat in a bony socket and eye bags that you get on the lower lid and on the upper lid is when the fat starts to bulge forward. You don't grow excess mm. fat, it just prolapses forward. So if you're very rough with your eye cream, you can sort of accelerate that process and potentially cause a puffy eye. But the creams in general, if you're not allergic to, you know, whatever product you're using around the eye, it shouldn't cause puffiness. And I think you just have to be a little bit cautious if you have conditions like eczema or rosacea, which we know affect the eyelid skin. Yes. Particularly compared to the rest of the face that you have to be cautious. Mm. Do you have any particular favourite ingredients? Are you a fan of using retinols, for example, which is something that I I personally like? Yes, definitely. So um, I don't work with any brands Mm. as just general advice, but I, I definitely always would recommend a retinol around the eye. Just apply with your fourth finger and dab very very, very carefully around the bone, the orbital bone, mm-hmm. uh, the orbital rim. I always advise not to use it every night. I would start by sort of two nights a week. And I think that's all you really need for the eyelid area. And you can actually use it over the eyelid itself. Well, if you stick to the bone, for the retinol, I would say stick to the bone. Right. And then prescription retinols like T-retino. And I do sometimes prescribe for patients with dark circles, but I would only suggest the lower lid for that because that can be, that's obviously a lot stronger. Um, and also you have to take a bit of a medical history as well. is isn't just to make sure you don't have dry eye or if you have diabetes, your eyes can be a lot more sensitive as well. So not everyone can tolerate it, but if you can, definitely um, a retinol. And that's the main ingredient. Lots of hydration around the eyes. I, I prefer the sort of lighter serums for the eye or light creams, not heavy creams, which can clog up the glands and put you at an increased risk of, say, things like milia. But that, that's what I would advise. Mm. So things like hyaluronic acid, for example, might be a oh, yeah, moisturiser. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, hyaluronic acid it locks in moisture. Fantastic. Uh, which is very, very good around the eye. That's what I use around my eyes. Good. Lots of good positives here. You talked about dark circles. And I know from reading my post bag that dark circles and dark pigmentation is a significant issue for a lot of women, particularly in midlife, and also puffiness and eye bags. Can we talk to those two specifically? Yeah, sure. So eye bags, we spoke a little bit about. So the eyeball, like I said, is cushioned in fat and the fat starts to bulge forward. So underneath the muscle I mentioned on the lower lid, the orbicularis muscle, you have a structure called the septum and it's a really thin fibrous tissue. And when you see it surgically, it's paper thin. That's the tissue. It's sort of a guard for your fat. 
And what happens over time is that weakens and it can start to come forward. It happens to everyone, but it can be accelerated if you rub your eye a lot. And in conditions, for example, for eczema, when you are rubbing your eye. Uh, mm. So when that or happens... hay fever. Hay fever, exactly. Hay mm. fever, eczema, mm. watery eyes, which is usually a condition of subsequent from dry eye, because when your eyes dry, you make more tears. So anything like that can cause the bags to come forward. And how do you treat them? Well, the only real way is surgical. Um, and the surgical right. approach, which, which is drastic. Yeah. It's a lower eyelid blepharoplasty, yeah. but that is really the the definitive management, you can reposition the fat and reduce the eye bags. We tend not to get rid of the fat now. We actually preserve your eye bags and use them to soften any lines. But non-surgically, what you can do really is it, it depends how prolapsed they are. If you just sort of have early signs of eye bags, you could start to think about camouflaging them with some tear trough filler. So tear trough filler works as a gel. And where you inject the gel is in an area called the tear trough. So that's the, the groove that you can get just underneath the eye bags on the lower lid. And if you add some gel, you can actually camouflage the bags, right. but it doesn't really get rid of them. So you're just sort of puffing out above it just to make the whole area look a bit, a, a, a bit more fuller. Exactly. You puff below, below so you, it you. fills a dip. Yeah. And then that can camouflage them, but it won't get rid of the fat. So and, and also it's, it's it's not very nice calling it fat uh, because it doesn't mean you're fat. It's no. just fat that everyone has. Yeah. And actually, we know it behaves differently to fat elsewhere because patients with thyroid conditions. So if you have Graves disease, Hashimoto's or thyroid dysfunction, there is a receptor in the fat, the only the orbital fat. And one of the diagnostic signs is they have very puffy eyes. It seems to like the orbital fat, you get puffiness. So if, for example, you have really bad eye bags and you're, you know, young in your 30s, it's really important to have a medical check just to make sure um, you don't have any history of thyroid eye disease because it's it's common and can present that way. That's absolutely fascinating. One of the things I find that help me when I wake up in the morning and I'm looking a bit puffy is to do a little bit of lymphatic drainage massage. Yeah. Just sort of working my fingertips around the orbital bone in a sort of anti-clockwise direction. Is there any sort of clinical evidence for that helping? Oh, definitely. And I actually do recommend that to a lot of my patients, especially if you have any early signs of a festoon or malar edema, which is when you start to get fluid retention just on the top of your cheek underneath the eye on the outer outer corner, if I've described that well, that's the malar region. And you can have a genetic predisposition, but it's quite common to gather fluid there. And then manual lymphatic drainage is first line yourself, which is great or you can go and get it done with a specialist. And things like avoiding too much salt in your diet, uh, particularly sparkling water, which is an interesting one. Oh, tell me. It's got lots of sodium in it. Uh, so I used to drink loads of sparkling water myself. And then actually, if you look at the sodium content, it's quite high. And if you do have a you know, tendency to, to collect fluid in your face, particularly in that malar region, you'd want to reduce it or avoid it. Soy sauce is another one for puffiness. And some of the fish you can get in, in um, sushi restaurants. They're the sort of things I would say. And then manual lymphatic drainage. And then you can move on to sort of non-surgical, surgical options after that. And then dark circles and dark pigmentation. I mean, obviously when we get tired or we're stressed or we're ill, mm. you know, we, we get these dark shadows under the eyes. What's causing that? Is that sort of blood coming to the surface and being more visible? And, and how can we help to prevent that? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons um, the eyelid skin is also very thin. You don't have that layer of fat. So the blood vessels are more visible. 
So dilation of blood vessels anywhere in the body is an indication of general health. So it just happens to be around the eyelid. You can actually see the blood vessels and actually also inside your eye. You can see all the vessels when you look at the back. So uh, that's why the eyes are quite a useful tool and to predict your general health. So, yeah, it's that it's a genetic pigmentation. You may have a genetic history of, you know, runs in families just have more pigment around the eyes and then volume loss as well in the tear trough area can cause shadowing. So that's why one option is always could be tear trough filler in the right patient because that will add volume and just help with the shadowing. One of the things that I do if, if I'm a bit puffy as well as the massage is splash my eyelids with really cold water, you know, maybe mm. even adding an ice cube to a, to a basin of cold water and using that coldness or even taking two teaspoons that I've kept in the fridge and sort of, you know, using mm. those in little circular movements around the eyes. Is, is cold water helpful is it helping with the lymphatics is it sort of helping to to temporarily tighten the skin yes definitely it will help with uh, constricting the blood vessels the cold so that's great really good oh good good i'm glad i got another tick (laughs) (laughs) now interestingly i saw an integrative osteopath recently because i've had recurrent neck pain for for decades actually in my shoulders and not helped of course by all the screen work and leaning over laptops and things that i do and she for the very first time and i've seen a number of different osteopaths and, and similar over the years but for the first time she massaged around my eyeballs and she said, you know, do you see differently out of your right and your left eye? And I said, yeah, absolutely. One eye is, is long-sighted, the other is short-sighted. And she said, well, you know, you may have tight ocular muscles that are then impacting on nerves in the, the cranium, which could be potentially influencing neck pain. I mean, I never even thought about that. What do you think? Mm, that's interesting. Um I mean, I suppose I'm not sure exactly why, but just thinking it through, um, it probably would go down to what you were saying about eye movements can reduce strain. So it's the muscles, not really the muscles in the lid, but the extraocular muscles that move the eye. You know, they're all under nerve control. And to move the eye, yes, we can say look left, look right, but it's all under control by nerves in our brain. So I'd say that's the association there fascinating did it work it did it did I mean I left with much less pain in in my shoulders and and some exercises to do uh, which I'm going to try and keep up because it was just a very interesting take on uh, on thinking about the muscles you know behind the eyes and the way that the eyes work Mm. and how they're functioning and how that might actually impact other things going on in the headspace generally I guess yeah well the, the eye movements are all under control by a nucleus in the back of the brain in the back, the back of our head, the occipital lobe, that's the sort of high level functioning. So that's a really interesting thought. And if it worked, that's brilliant. Mm, Excellent. Well, don't go away because we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about eye health and various eye issues specifically. And I'm really looking forward to picking your brains even more. So stay where you are. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome back. Now, this is going to be so fascinating because there are so many conditions that affect the eyes. And I'm sure that everybody listening here is going to have at least one, if not more, problems or issues or niggles, perhaps, that they'd love to address here. So shall we start, Elizabeth, by just talking about sight, maybe in general? You know, our deterioration of eyesight, is this completely inevitable as we age? Um, That's a good question. I think you know, classically, people think that eye conditions or eye sight loss is more someone when you're older, sort of in your 70s, 80s, when you start to get conditions like cataract, age-related changes in the lens or macular degeneration, age-related changes at the back of the eye. But actually, what people don't know is that the earlier you pick up sort of signs of this, you can actually delay the onset of these conditions. So I wouldn't say it's actually something as we age. I think it's something if you take care of your eye health and you just go for regular checks as young as your 30s, you can delay the onset of some of these conditions that can threaten sight. And wearing glasses from a young age, some people say it can prevent eye strain and and prevent eyes from deteriorating. Others will say, actually, you're making your eyes lazy and it's not good. It'll make your eyesight worse. What's your view? I think if you need glasses, if you've got a genuine refractive change and you need glasses to see clearly in the distance or you need glasses to read, you should use them. Right. So not to strain the eyes, but actually to give them a rest with, with, with the right prescription. Definitely. And what about things like floaters and flashes in the eyes where we see these little sort of floaty bodies in front of us? <laughs> yeah, so commonly actually sight loss is actually um, is, is a bit late once you get the sight loss. Then there's actually if you can pick up the sort of early signs, uh, it can stop that. So flashing lights and floaters. So essentially you're, we move on to the eyeball, it's full of a substance called the vitreous. So it's gel. 
And what happens over time is that gel is actually made of hyaluronic acid as well, which is you know what we use for filler. That will liquefy the gel. And as you can imagine, when gel becomes liquid, it can clump together. So that's what the floaters are. Now, when you need to be worried about floaters are if you get a new onset of floaters, you get a shower of floaters, because that could mean as the gel starts to shrink, it can pull away from the back of the eye, uh, which is called your retina. And when it pulls away, you can sometimes get flashing lights. And that usually happens as a naturally occurring process to everyone around sort of 60s, 70s, that will happen. Right. And it's called the vitreous detaching and it's a naturally occurring process. The worrying sign would be if actually when the gel pulls away, it starts to take a bit of the retina with it and that'd be a retinal tear right. or fluid to get underneath the detachment. It's, it's a good way to think about it would think about the wallpaper. If the wallpaper is starting to pull off mm-hmm. and then it keeps going, that could be your retina. So that's the sort of worrying side of floaters. But in general... If you have floaters, most people have them. They're annoying, yes, (laughs) but they're not usually harmful. But you do need to be aware of the warning signs for retinal detachment. So shower floaters, new onset flashing lights, or any shadow in your peripheral vision. Right. You're at a higher risk of that if you've got a very high prescription. If, say, you're a minus 8 or a 9 or a 10, so then you need to present urgently to an eye department. Right. Okay, great advice. You mentioned in the first half of our conversation dry eyes. And particularly, I know from my community going through perimenopause, menopause, it's a very common symptom, presumably triggered by a loss of oestrogen. How how do we care for dry eyes and how common is it? And, and is it something that can be prevented or cured? Yeah, dry eyes is very, very common. Um, it can present at any age. The most common cause for dry eye is a condition called blepharitis. So actually in our eyelids, you have specialist glands in between our eyelashes. They're called meibomium glands and they secrete the oily layer of our tear film. And what can happen is those glands can get clogged up. So as you can imagine, instead of our tear film being nice and lubricated, the quality of the secretions or less oil means the surface of the eye is exposed and that can make the eye dry. So that is extremely common. And it's also the cause of a sty, which most people have had. If those glands get clogged up and you can get a buildup of the oil and that's called a sty or the medical term for that is a chalazion. So how that relates to the menopause Well, what the sort of fluctuation in hormones do is it does alter the secretions in the oil glands. So there's a higher risk of blepharitis and therefore a higher risk of dry eye disease. Interesting. And presumably that's because of lowering hormone levels, controlling that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And and just more hormone fluctuation. You can get a spike of it in pregnancy as well of blepharitis. But that's the most common cause. Uh, but there's lots of other causes of dry eye, such as contact lens wear, right. medical conditions, yeah. excess screen time, smoking. Mm. Um, but the most common is definitely blepharitis. And it's actually very, very easy to manage with something that we as ophthalmologists call lid hygiene. Now, I do this because I had blepharitis. <laughs> it was picked up by my optician on a regular eye check. And he said to me that I needed to get a hot flannel. Mm-hmm. and basically sort of press it against my eyelids. Uh, and I actually use a, a, a flannel or a cloth with my cleanser anyway at night. And so, I mean, tell me if I'm doing the right thing or not, I'd love to hear. Um, as my sort of final rinse, I actually make sure that my, my cloth is fairly hot and then just press it into my eyelashes. It also helps to remove mascara. Um, and actually since doing that and making a conscious decision to use a hot cloth to sort of dissolve these oils along the lash line, I haven't had any further issues. 
Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly right. Warm, warm compress oh, is good. what we recommend. <laughs> warm so the, compress, warm excellent. Warm compress, yeah. <laughs> the glands run vertically in the upper lid and vertically in the lower lid. So when you're doing the hot compress and you're massaging, we always advise to massage down for the upper lids and upwards for the lower lids because right. of where the glands, how they run. Oh, good tip. Um, and remember, the opening is where your lashes are or the waterline where you'd put your you know, eyeliner. So as long as you're doing it in that direction, warm mm. compress is good. Twice a day is good. And then if you get any flare up of your blepharitis, you could then go on to a medicated wipe. Right. Okay. So I remember that. So down on the upper lids and upper yes. lashes. I think I've been doing that wrong, actually. I think I've been pushing it upwards. So down and then up on the lower lashes. It's really common. It, it's something I talk about all the time in clinic. I even have a model made to really describe it. And it's so nice that we can do something that's essentially free. You know, you just need some hot water and a flannel um, and then you can you can treat yourself. Yeah, because it's very um, overwhelming when you go to a pharmacy and you go to the blepharitis section. You have all these masks that you can put in the microwave, etc. But really, you don't need to. It's more about technique and you can just do it at home with a hot flannel. That's perfect. Fantastic. Anything else that we should be starting now or, you know, as young as possible to help prevent eye degeneration you know you talk about macular degeneration what are the things that can help to slow that or even to prevent it altogether um smoking not to smoke right Um, that's a given I guess that's a given don't smoke so (laughs) bad for your general health and your eyes Mm -hmm. uh uv protection so sunlight can accelerate the formation of cataracts and macular degeneration diet's very very important um, but mm. we'll come to that in a second. But the most important thing really is if you have a family history of any of these eye conditions, just go for regular checks at your optician. You just, just go once a yeah. year or every two years, mm-hmm. just go to your optician and they can do a scan of the back of the eye. It's called an OCT of your retina and it can pick up very, very early changes there that could put you at increased risk of macular degeneration. And then you can start the lifestyle factors to try and reduce that risk of it getting worse. Now, you mentioned diet and I've been looking at various supplements, particularly using carotenoids and lutein and astaxanthin and yes. all sorts of interesting things that seem to have quite interesting clinical evidence behind them at helping to prevent eye issues as we age what's your view yeah no definitely um there was a big study uh which looked at vitamins for eye health there was two big studies but a red's trial was the big one um and that looked at lutein zeanthin and what it does is it does delay the onset of macular degeneration so very very important to take those supplements if you're at increased risk can we get those from foods or do we have to take a supplement you have to take a supplement there it's very difficult to get that in your diet but Uh, omega-3 is very very good for dry eye it takes 12 weeks to work but it will improve the symptoms of dry eye and how it works is on the quality of the oil secretions but you can get a lot of omega-3 in your diet then obviously vitamin c etc that's beneficial for the whole body but also the eyes Um, and then actually interestingly there was a study looking at diet as well and they found that actually following a mediterranean diet is actually good for your eye health in terms of delaying the onset of cataracts and macular degeneration. Perhaps all that extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, it's extra virgin olive oil, no butter, no processed meat, uh, processed foods, lots of fresh, you know, fish and vegetables. That's it's that's the fresh, a good diet. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
and, and, and the fish, as you say, the omega-3s. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about my Mongolian gerbil. Okay. And it is actually relevant to this conversation. Okay, so I had two little gerbils, Ronnie and Reggie. And Reggie sadly died and Ronnie was not looking in great shape. And gerbils are not hugely long-lived. So I thought, well, he's going to pop off, you know, fairly soon, follow his brother. And he started to look really scraggy, really scrawny. His coat was just not great. And he started to go blind in one eye. His eye was like permanently closed. He was squinting. He wasn't really of mobile moving around and I I love this little gerbil and I used to give him blueberries so every morning I, I gave him his first blueberry and he absolutely loved it and it was so sweet to watch him I mean frankly it was like us holding something the size of a watermelon you know in his little Aww. paws and he would eat this this blueberry and the next day he would come up and I think okay you can have another blueberry so anyway this went on and after about two months I swear to you he was a new gerbil. I mean, this gerbil, his coat was glossy, his both his eyes were fully opened, completely clear. He was scurrying around his little cage and he went on to live for another year and a half. Mm. So I'm thinking, you know, the the antioxidants, the the I don't know, the carotenoids maybe in this, you know, what would have been an enormous portion if you, you know, scaled it up to human size, maybe. That gave him his eyesight back. What do you think? No, I definitely, yeah, I believe that. It's, it's, blueberries are good. They've got lots of antioxidants. It probably improved the eye health. I wonder why he was closing one eye, though. That's interesting. Mm. Maybe he had, I don't know, maybe he had a cataract or some inflammation in the eye, and that's why he was closing it because he was uncomfortable. That's really interesting. Isn't it? I mean, that for me, that it's an observational study, but if anybody's yes. listening... <laughs> If you, you would like, <laughs> if you've got a little rodent friend at home and you'd like to give them a daily blueberry and monitor their health, then please write in and let me know because I'd love to hear. <laughs> anyway, he's now gone to the, the, the big blueberry farm in the sky to join his brother, but he did have Aww. an extra 18 months of, of happy life. Um, eye drops, good or bad? Yeah, I mean, the first treatment for dry eye is lubricating eye drops. Uh, so you want to buy ones with hyaluronic acid. Again, hyaluronic acid's good for the whole skin eyes um so it's preservative free with hyaluronic acid you can buy them over the counter um, and they work very well for eye drops particularly if you have dry eye but even if you don't actually have a formal diagnosis of dry eye and say you're a contact lens wearer i would suggest just sort of using a lubricating eye drop just once a day because you are at an increased risk of getting dry eye yeah and before we go i'd like just to touch on eyelashes because they're obviously the extension mm. the end of our eyelids and you know as women it's you know if you say what's your most indispensable makeup product they'll probably say mascara mascara is fine should we be using lengthening types should we be using lash serums is there any evidence to show that these are actually helping our lashes are they strengthening are they weakening what do you think yes yeah, so i think you know eye makeup mascara i think that's fine but if you do have a condition like blepharitis with recurrent styes it's advised not to use it all the time because it will make the condition worse it will cause more inflammation at the lid margin where those glands are which are in between the lashes so so I think if you have a diagnosis of blepharitis or dry, you should be cautious with mascara. And mascara-wise, I always just recommend, you know, use it, but be careful when you're taking it off. Don't be too aggressive because you can just accelerate the aging process around the eye. In terms of lash serums, that's interesting. So that all came from a glaucoma drop. Uh, so when glaucoma is, you have a, you have a, obviously everyone knows you have a blood pressure, but you also have a pressure in your eye. 
that's called your interocular pressure. When that gets high and you can start to damage the nerve that connects the eye to the brain, that, that condition is called glaucoma. And the mainstay of treatment, the first line is always an eye drop to lower the interocular pressure of the eye. And the first drop that came to market was something called a prostaglandin analogue because that increases outflow of the fluid in the eye. One of the side effects is that, which they notice, are multiple side effects around the eyelid, but one of the interesting ones was it stimulated eyelash growth. So then that has been used, as you can understand, in the cosmetic industry to stimulate lash growth. So it definitely works, but I don't recommend them to be used all the time unless you actually have genuine lash loss for, you know, blepharitis over time can cause lash loss or, you know, various conditions that can cause that. Because they have the other side effects of prostaglandin analogs. So that can be darkening of the skin around the eye. Ooh. It can cause atrophy of the fat, which can make you look older and more sunken. Oh dear. Uh, it can make the eyes red and it can turn blue eyes brown. Right. So okay. you just have to use them under, <laughs> so, I think you have to use them right. under specialist guidance. Just a few side effects. Yeah. But, but... Just if you say, it doesn't happen to everyone because it's okay. obviously a very, very low concentration, but they are the side effects of, and you can spot patients on those drops of glaucoma. Okay. So lash serums, to get one that actually works, that has this effect, it would need to be a prostaglandin based formula, would it? Exactly. Super interesting. But there's nothing wrong with the other serums. But just be careful if it contains the word prost, because then it could be a prostaglandin analogue derivative. Fascinating. Now, one of my previous guests on the podcast was my old friend, Dr. Hilary Jones, from from my early morning TV days. And we were talking a little bit about eyes, I mean, just in sort of general passing. And he mentioned that we blink about six times less when we're looking at a screen. And mm. I will hold my hand up here. I'm looking at a screen for a large part of the day. Is is that the case? And, and, you know, should we be aware? Should we be kind of consciously making an effort to remember to blink a little bit more when we're on our screens? Yeah, definitely. Because with each blink, what happens is you sweep. So your tears are made in a, in a gland called the lacrimal gland, which is in the upper outer corner of our eyelids. So with each blink, you're basically sweeping those tears across the eye to then drain in the inner corner. So it's really important to keep the eyes lubricated. So when you're doing screen work, we recommend the 20-20-20 rule. So every 20 minutes, take a 20 second break where you look out into the distance at something 20 feet away. And that will just help give the eyes a break. That is such a good tip. I'm actually going to pop a little post-it on my laptop on the top that just says 20, 20, 20. 20, 20, 20. Yeah, every 20 minutes, 20 second break to look 20 feet away. Elizabeth, it's been such a pleasure. We have covered so much. I have learned a huge amount and I know that this will be a fascinating listen for a lot of people. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been such a joy. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Well, what a pleasure that was to chat to Elizabeth. I don't know about you, but I have learned so much and I'm definitely going to be changing my hot cloth technique around the eyes. So yeah, down on the upper lids up on the lower lashes. Well, if your eyes have now been opened up to the world of eye care, there's lots more chat and information about skin, about makeup, and about how we might want to be caring for our bodies generally, differently, as we age. And you can head over to lizardwellbeing.com to find all of that and more. And of course, that is also the place to go to if you want to sign up for the free weekly newsletter, which is jam-packed with plenty of tips and free advice for living well. 
Well, do you think you'll be thinking more consciously about how you look after your eyes after our chat today? Do let me know. You can get in touch on social media. I am at Lizelle Me and the team are at Lizelle Wellbeing. And you will find us on all the usual platforms, but principally Instagram is the one where we like to have our chats and connect. So until the next time, go well. Bye bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.